Hi, welcome to Light the Camera Author. I'm Jim Juno. Judy Garland and Liza Minnelli, they were the greatest, most colorful, and most tragic mother-daughter saga in showbiz history. They live, laugh, and weep again in the tear-soaked pages of this upcoming biography entitled Too Many Damn Rainbows. It's from Doran Porter and Danforth Prince. Now, they've compiled a compelling postmodern spin. As MGM's tap dancing Ann Miller predicted, it's unlikely that the world will ever see the likes of these two ever again. And according to Liza Minnelli, she said, My mother, hailed as the world's greatest entertainer, lived 80 lives during her short time with us. Danforth Prince is co-author of many of the editions of the European series of the Fromer Travel Guides, but he's also the founder of what's been described as the feistiest independent press in America, that being Blood Moon Productions. He's also the innkeeper for the MagnoliaHouseStGeorge.com, an historic, celebrity-centric Airbnb in New York City. His newest book, Too Many Damn Rainbows, is due out on June 10th, 2020. Let's join the conversation. Hello, welcome to the show, Danforth, Danforth Prince, and you have a new book out with Doran Porter, and it is called <laughs> called uh, Judy Garland and Liza Minnelli, Too Many Damn Rainbows. Welcome, <laughs> welcome to the show. I'm happy. I'm delighted to be here. Thank you, Jim. I, I love your show. Thank you for your service that you provide for the book trade. It's really marvelous. Well, I appreciate you being on. I really do. Now, let's talk about Judy. And <laughs> <laughs> now she... I would love to talk about Judy. <laughs> it's even said that, that I am now the channel for the voice of Judy Garland. And my fantasy about this interview with, with you tonight was that I could be a channel for the voice of Judy Garland. Please forgive any hubris or arrogance in that. And you would get to be Jack Parr in the 1950s when Judy came on and was a saucy guest that everyone adored. Yes, and I kid you not. This is how it works out, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll have a late-night interview, a late-night adult talk about the most important female star, entertainer, the best entertainer, in, they say, in American history. And yes, and we're here. Judy was fun. She I was, think what surprises me is that I have survived uh, the whole editorial task of pulling this book together. I mean, I'll be able to say late in my life, you know, as I see the light at the end of the tunnel, that my greatest accomplishment was that I survived Judy and the other actresses we've written about with, I hope, some sensitivity. I think we did Lana Turner recently. We did, right. you know, we've written about Ava Gardner. So, so I'm getting to be an old, jaded hand at writing about these um, brilliant, slightly demented stars that we, that I adore. Um, <laughs> I'm but, getting older. <laughs> but with Judy Garland, though, specifically, I mean, uh, yeah, yes, you've had, you have had so many good books about, about other stars and other female stars, like you mentioned, Lana Turner and, and the like. But, but Judy Garland herself, that story has got to be one of the most time, it had to be time consuming and lead you down several different roads all at one time. That's nice of you. Um, I, I view her as, as a archetype of really the American century. Um, her experiences reflected the history, the era that made her, the era that produced entertainment as we knew it, no, knew it in, in the pre-COVID era. Um, I don't think anyone else is going to tackle to this degree of, um, I don't know, detail, 
um, her, her as a subject ever again. I think this, unless I'm wrong and somebody discovers something really new in the next 50 years of buried archive, but I really doubt it. Everybody, a lot, a lot of people knew Judy. A lot of people had anecdotes about Judy. A lot of them wrote wrote books about Judy. Um, our task editorially was to use the personal memories of Darwin Porter, the senior co-author. I've been writing books with him since we did the Fromer Guides together a thousand years ago. Remember Europe on five dollars a day? <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> oh yeah, but we wrote a lot of those guides to Europe at an era. For example, his guide to London, from his guide to England. Judy was always in England giving concerts, feeling greatly at home with the stages of 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 the UK and the audience reception to her as this unusual, fascinating voice, this entertainer from from America. The war was not that long in the distant past. It was rather recent. And my point is that, that England flourishes with first-hand stories of Judy Garland. Darwin collected them. Um, and they all went into the book, of course. And, and a lot of other people wrote books. That, that, of course, he read. I read some of them. Um, one man wrote a... Um, 300-page book about the two months that he spent in the orbit of Judy Garland, and and it was an intensely personalized insight into a brief, brief period that was illuminating um, and very specific to a period. We've tried to do the whole gamut, the whole life, beginning to go, cradle to grave, um, and quite a task it was. She touched everyone of Mary the 20th century. Um, this is a book about Judy, not about her, her, her films, although we talk about what went on in the background of making her films. And there are many books about the films of Judy Garland. There are many databases about the concerts and the musical career of Judy Garland. We have done an overview of her contact with other celebrities, her interactions with the Hollywood establishment. How was she with A, B, C, D, or E? And they're all fascinating, fun stories. The amazing, the amazing thing about this, this book is that I noticed is that the parallels in the life of both Judy Garland and Liza Minnelli, um, you know, like you mentioned specifically, uh, Judy Garland in the movie um, A Star Is Born, and then you know Liza Minnelli in Cabaret, but that is those are just that's just one of the similarities. Uh, they both had husbands who may have been closeted. Uh, maybe, maybe not so closeted with uh, the. They're not so closeted. Yeah, Vincent yeah. uh, there... Minnelli and and uh, David Guest. Ay, 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 ay. I mean, you could go on for days about that. And I don't want to interrupt your question. And yeah. um, the history of the of Judy in particular with gay men went back to her early childhood. Her father was Frank. He ran a movie theater. Um, he had been a vaudeville act with his wife, her mother, Judy's mother, Ethel. They were a cabaret act. Judy really was born in a dressing room and, and, and laid to rest as a young child in swaddling clothes and a trunk. It wasn't an She really lived in a life of showbiz. Her father was wonderful. She adored him. He was kind. He was indulgent. She hated her mother, loved her father. Her mother was something of a devouring stage mother who pushed her into pill abuse and all kinds yeah. of bad stories. It's all in the book. But the hist but her father, the point I'm trying to make was she was exposed early to gay men through her father was the first. He had male lovers on the side. He kept getting sexually involved, sexually compromised with ushers that he hired, younger teenaged ushers who were working in the theaters that he owned and managed, and he was driven out of a couple of towns 
and had to pick up roots to go to another town to start all over again when it was looking like they might lynch him. Oh, wow. <laughs> Judy adored him. Um, as for gay men in her early career at MGM, she was always hanging out with the fun crowd. Hollywood is a permissive kind of place. Um, she knew them all. She went to a lot of gay bars. She felt comfortable with the gay men. They felt comfortable with her. She then ended up marrying several of them. I think she had she had five husbands, and only one of them was probably completely straight. I'm not sure about David Rose. I don't know quite where he was sexually, but right. but the other three were were, were gay men. Um, why? Um, I think she speaks to their hearts and their needs and their tra- trials and. It was the era, and Judy was a representation of pain and suffering and representation. There's even a belief that she really had parallels to her cult of of the redemptive powers of the Virgin Mary. (laughs) (laughs) People would confess to her. People would make assumptions about her. They would relate to her. Uh, Let me see. There's a quote I like from a writer called Steve Carey. I I hate to read from another writer, but this is so good. Let me see. When I was younger... She just to me was an emotionally messy and victimy queen of perpetual angst, booze, and tranquil-driven romantic drama. But now I get it. It's her vulnerability, her raw emotion. I see why people adored her and why gay men bow at Judy's altar. Once you live a little, love a little, get dumped a time or two, get your heart broken and feel like shit for breaking someone else's, you realize there's a Judy Garland in us all, but most of us hide it. So if that's my testimonial to the Judy that is in all of us and the Judy that is in me and in my <laughs> because I claim the right to be a channel for the voice of Judy Garland and this is a late night show, I thought I'd bring that up. <laughs> well, I tell you what, I mean and how no, she became she like you said, she became a gay icon during her lifetime. It it wasn't something that happened after she passed away. She was, no, absolutely. I mean she would be notable as some of her concerts as one in San Francisco where they probably where the audience practically mobbed the stage. Um, I mean, I have movies that I just adore of Judy. Movies now, we're not talking concerts. When she sang, people, she broke people's heart. An astonishing talent. Uh, <laughs> but like Easter Parade is not a movie that's cited as her best. But I watched that movie a couple of times, and I smile at the first scene, mm-hmm. and I go into something like bliss of happiness, the world goes away, I am in, I am utterly ravished by watching how she plays it. Quick, spontaneous, uh, fast-witted out of her feet, talented from hell and back. I don't think anyone knew what to do with someone this talented. Um, I mean, how can you... We must be indulgent of the weaknesses of the artists who make our lives richer. They're not always temples of mental health. And Judy had a tiny bit of a drug problem and a tiny bit of a booze problem and drama from hell and band. Um, it got a little messy, but if you love Judy, you forgive her, you embrace her, and you remember her as one of the key luminaries of the Sputnik age, the mid-American century. Um, I think she's fascinating. Yeah. Her relationship with other writers, uh, not other writers, with other um, Hollywood personalities they're all fascinated. How does she interact with Lana Turner? Back to my Lana. How does she react with Vivian Lee, uh, Scarlett O'Hara? How does how does she interact with 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 the president of CBS when she had 
That was a story I thought was fascinating. They finally gave her her own TV show. It began in 1963, and The Wizard of Oz was long ago in her background. And right. All those Andy Hardy movies were long ago in her background when we all fell in love with Judy when she was a small-town girl singing her way with Andy Hardy, Mickey Rooney, blah, blah, blah. But even at the height of her concert, she may have had, I, I don't know the capacity of a large theater, maybe 2,500 or 3,000 seats, her fans would flock to see this Madonna icon singing in, in, in a very primal way that touched our hearts. But she had never had a mass audience until CBS in 1963 gave her her own TV show. Uh, the drama began because they wanted to control her and they wanted to guide her. And you really couldn't control a talent like hers or an ego that might not be the right word or a, or a vision like hers or... But they tried, they tried, they tried, and suddenly she was thrust in front of a mass audience of something like 40 million viewers from, you know, a certainly very substantial fan base, but nothing like the mass market CBS appeal of her own show. So many, many Americans remember her, not other than from The Wizard of Oz, which many, which is really a, a national treasure, but they really remember her from this rather odd, very brilliant CBS, um, The Judy Show. It was a primetime show. It was on the same time slot as Bonanza. Bonanza, which, which was, I mean, that that shows you either one, that CBS didn't know how to program the, the shows, or they felt that she had a big enough draw that she would knock off Bonanza. Well, an example for that is she... We, you and I talked about her witty, late-night, adult, very sophisticated appeal in dialogues with, with Dick Cavett or with Jack Parr. So she would send CBS a wish list of the guests she wanted on her show. And she said she wanted Noel Coward, who, of course, was the British playwright, who was the toast of London, ultra-sophisticated, just an incredible... I would love to have had a dialogue with Noel Coward. She would have had a dialogue with Noel Coward in front of 40 million people, and CBS said, no, we're going to give you the Dillards. <laughs> and the Dillards were a country music twang band, um, a hillbilly banjo band. And she said, my God, you know, I asked for Noel Coward, and they give me the Dillards. What am I going to do? <laughs> See, that's, that, is just, that is just stupidity on the network level there. Because it, I think it was the early days of TV, and the culture wars were, were raging already. Um, the Beverly Hillbillies had made, uh, you know, a fortune, um, or they went right. on Beverly Hillbillies, and Free Love and LSD and The Flower Generation was on its way, and it was just a few, um, it, it was inaugurated just a few um, months before the assassination of JFK, who was a dear friend of hers. She wanted to sing him an ode on that show, and they said no, and she said yes, and then I think she slipped into the repertoire, uh, her rendition of Battle Hymn of the Republic, and she said, this is for you, Jack. Wow. And her fans adored it, and CBS was furious that they changed the order, and it, it is remembered now as one of the great television testimonials to the late Jack Kennedy, the recently assassinated president. So there were wars, the cultural wars were swirling around her. Who could handle it? I, I don't think I could, um, unless this book brings up something horrible. <laughs> <laughs> Now, Eliza Minnelli, um, how hard was it finding the private information about her? Because uh, she's still alive and, and kind of, I would imagine, kind of protective. Well, we are alert to the dangers of potential litigation in this stuff. So we, we did not 
we brought in witnesses who had themselves published their stuff in written form. Oh. We viewed the conflicts that mother and daughter had, great empathy and kindness, and we admire very much Liza Minnelli. Um, we think she's astonishingly talented and like her mother and had a hard time distinguishing herself as a performer separate from her mother. Um, and to confess, the biography is a insight into their respective parallel lives up until the death of Judy Garland. If it had continued with a full-fledged overview of the life of Lisa Min- Liza Minnelli, sorry, um, it would have added another 300 pages to an already rather large book, which is in the <laughs> high 700s, and we just couldn't go on. So there is room for a book on Liza in another publication one day from Blood Moon Productions, and we look forward to doing it. Ah, okay. Um, and this this is written in in the most loving, respectful of ways. It is anything but a slap at Judy and Liza. It's well, an extraordinary yeah. homage but all your books to them both for how they survived, all, how they did it, how yeah. they triumphed. All your books are just... So they're a little eccentric. They pick their men badly, and there's a pill addiction problem or two. Hey, but it's hey, all right. Like, it's Hollywood. It's all right. And <laughs> your books are always... I mean, yes, they are. They are like, you know, you're, you're called the guilty pleasure of, of literary people. But but also, your books are done not in a, not in a vindictive way. None of your books are. And that's no, what, they're really that's not. A, yeah. But we're very gentle. We hugely admire talent. And we hugely admire the difficulty of making a statement, just in light of how dull so many things are. Why was Judy so popular? By God, it was an yeah. era of spam and white oatmeal and white bread, and Judy would get stage and she'd sing right from the heart and get right to your cojones right away. And we <laughs> love her for it. So, I mean, in an era that was... where, where there are thousands of bland and boring stuff going on and totally colorless people, she was this... People would really... They worshipped her. I mean, if I had been anywhere within 50 feet of Judy Garland and there were a thousand people, I would have done my best to elbow my way through and just get a glimpse in the eyes of this astonishingly talented, weird, weirdly dysfunctional, weirdly effective communicator. God, what skill she had. You know, one of the stories I like was that when she... she uh, was nominated for an Academy Award uh, by uh, with the uh, <laughs> oh yes oh yes with the uh, I with, laugh already see I laugh I'm <laughs> enchanted by her I'm a total fan <laughs> yeah a star is born she was she was supposed to win or expected to win and the TV people came into she was not at the ceremony because she had just given birth or was about to give birth and she had just given birth to Joey her, Joey. her last her third child yeah, yeah. So all these all these newspaper people and TV people are in her hospital room and then she doesn't win and like Grace <laughs> Kelly wins for the and, country girl and she related that on one of her late night Jack Parr or Dick Cavett maybe uh, TV interviews where she said you know look, all of a sudden they you know there you are having given birth until 10 minutes ago you were great with childhood they rip off the microphone and they rip off the lights and they suddenly rush off and go home leaving you (laughs) spectacularly unfulfilled like a bad romantic failure that they leave you to stew in your juices and everyone was horrified and Grace Kelly won the Oscar for um, for the country girl um, uh, which is also a very nice one we like Grace Kelly very much fine reputable star but there was a lot of gossip, and it's all in the book about that. The um, one of the theories was that whereas, and I forget the studio that made 
A Star Is Born. It was at MGM. I just forget. Um, um, but no, the studio that Warner Brothers, I believe, was it? Yes, Warner but Brothers. I'm, good for you. Good. <laughs> see, see, delighted. I'm delighted. You know that. But they had not particularly promoted Judy. There was bad blood. She had been difficult. A lot of people were mad at her. They did not pump her uh, role an Oscar contender the way that the opposing studio pumped Grace Kelly, who was blonde and pretty and new and did not have the huge emotional baggage that Judy, by this time in her career, had carried with her. She had been difficult on the set. Um, she was enchanting until she wasn't. And when she wasn't enchanted, she was Dracula. Oh. Um, and a lot of people got wounded, and she had a lot of enemies, and it all got um, just out of control. She had to sort of... And also, A Star is Born is a horrible example for any of us out there in Radio Land who have put out a creative project and, and, and poured, poured your life into it. It gets into the hands of other people who mangle it and in this case shortened it and cut it I think from a three hour to a two hour movie so it would better fit with the uh, opening times of a two hour cinema uh, session out in theater land across America. She was completely brutalized by that. She was to have made lots of money from that movie. She and Sid Luft worked on it together. He produced it and she um, was its star, but by the time the tape got through the mangling process of the Hollywood marketing machine, they, they eviscerated it, they degutted it, they ripped out its intestines, they took out the best parts, and they turned it into a pale shadow of what it had been. And by the way, A Star is Born, which was the subject of the Oscar that she didn't win that hospital night from hell, Frank Sinatra was there with her buying pizza for all her well wishes, it was very nice of him to do that. Um, he's always interesting to look at. Um, but um, where was I? Where was the thing? You were talking about. Yeah, she, yeah. Go ahead. Uh, God, I think I'm turning into Judy. I'm getting forgetful. <laughs> <laughs> I think it shows the, the multiple trains that you can take with the life of Judy Carl. She knew everybody, and a lot of people recorded their stories of Judy. It, I mean, Judy was a subject that would get galvanized a room, and if you had a Judy anecdote, um, you would tell it. So a lot of these are the these these stories that get into this book that Darwin Porter wrote with great skill. He was an entertainment columnist for the Miami Herald. He was back in the fifties. He was the bureau chief for the key bureau of the um, Miami Herald. Um, and everybody came to Key West. Everybody came to Miami to gamble and have put on shows. And all of them had Judy's stories. And he would be interviewing them for the Miami Herald. And they would tell him their stories about Judy. And he assembled them all. And now they are here in this <laughs> very interesting, very loving book. It's not about bashing, name name what it might bash her. Drug addiction, eh. It's part of the package, you know. Yeah. It doesn't. Her promiscuity, that was, you know. Her emotional demands on her lovers, you know, love me, love me, do you love me, will you love me tomorrow, do you love me now, love me, love me. And after a while, I think a lot of people who adored her, she got to be a bit too much. She exhausted her companions. She exhausted her, her um, personal assistants. Um, Stevie Phillips, I think, was her personal assistant. And she wrote a whole book about the horrible... That, that Judy would cause for her. Um, Judy developed a bit of an arson problem and began setting hotel rooms and even her house on fire. I mean, wow. somebody would have to watch Judy for an afternoon and the curtains would be on fire because Judy had ignited them. Her suicide attempts on, on those bad days she had were amazing. 
she'd smile, she'd be wonderful, she'd go into the bathroom and she wants to slit her throat, and other times she'd slit her wrists. Like, what do you do if you're responsible for being the handler, either in an emotional, loving way, you're her husband, let's say, or you're paid by someone, her manager, to watch her? What do you do? Well, I mentioned the arson. Yeah. The story is even that she once was angry at a theater on Broadway where um, uh, I think Ethel, Angela Lansbury was performing in, in Mame, I think. They, Judy was angry and upset and probably nuts, probably crazy. And she, the story is that she phoned in a bomb threat to the theater <laughs> um, anonymously. There's another story where she was angry at one of her lovers called Tom Green. And it, it was a tawdry, horrible drama. And I hope that my telling this story doesn't detract from the love I have for Judy. Um, but it's so. So Tom Green. Um, uh, let me see. They needed to raise cash. Uh, he took it upon himself to pawn some of her jewelry with her permission. Then she forgot that she'd given her permission. They had a huge fight. Um, almost came, you know, came to blows. Certainly, there was a lot of violence there. And and when he finally left her, she made a phone call and she said, "Hello, I'm Judy Garland." She called Bill Hospital and she said, "This man is um, taking a whole lot of sedatives and he's dying, and you have to come now and pump out his stomach, and he's going to die, and you have to go to the uh, the Alria Hotels in Manhattan, mid Manhattan." Yeah. And so they sent an ambulance. <laughs> they sent an ambulance, and they almost forcibly and he said, "I'm fine, go away," but they tackled him anyway. They threw him into an ambulance. <laughs> they took him to the Bellevue. They pumped his stomach. They damaged his vocal cords. They oh, put in the tube down his throat. Um, and it ended horribly. Um, so so if you love artists and their failings, I mean, you'd better love artists and the talented people that keep our society enriched and understand that they are naughty from time to time. How's that for a late night way to phrase something? You're, <laughs> you're Jack Parr. <laughs> That's fantastic. My voice is being instructed by Judy Garland. <laughs> well, I tell you what, Dan Forth, this has been a lot of fun talking with you again. Dan Forth Prince is the author. Darwin Porter is a co-author. And the book is to, uh, Judy Garland and Liza Minnelli, Too Many Damn Rainbows. And you can find more information at, at bloodmoonproductions.com. Danforth, thank you again. Jim, that's really very nice of you. And good luck with this radio series. I'm, I'm really proud that you're, you're doing what you're doing to document the dwindling book population out there in the new post-COVID age. God bless you. You can find more information about the book, Too Many Damn Rainbows, at bloodmoonproductions.com. Until next time, for Lights, Camera, Author, I'm Jim Juno.